Well, good morning. I hope you're enjoying this very wet day in Pittsburgh as we continue our series, The Story of Us. And we're going to be talking today about outside influences and how they affect us and, and how we navigate through that. You know, a few weeks ago, my family and I watched a show on Netflix. And this, story, this show on Netflix is all about you gather 100 people and you kind of see how does the interactions with other people affect the other person next to them. And what they did in this particular show is they took 100 people, they were all out in the middle of the day on the sidewalk, and they were all in like squares. So there was 100 squares, everyone stood in square, everyone had a pie. And then they asked like two or three people in the middle of 100 people to just smack their face with the pie and just put it right in their face and see how does it affect other people? How do other people respond? And before you know it, they began to watch one by one, other people began to smash their face, smash their face, smash their face. The people who want, didn't want to be as messy, want to be a little bit cleaner, well, they didn't smash their face. They took the pie and they kind of, well, I'm going to be a part of the crowd. You know, the reality is this, you know, they all began to follow the leader. Psychology fascinates me. You know, the psychology of people just fascinates me watching how people respond to other people. You know, last week we talked about one of our basic needs in creation is a need for attention and affirmation. And we want to fit in. We don't want to be the oddball who, who's different than everybody else. And that's why we tend to follow the lead of those who surround us. And before you know it, we do exactly what everybody else around us is doing to try to not look different. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor... We had a group of kids, and we had youth group night here at the church, and I got this game. You know, back when I was a youth pastor, the goals of a youth pastor is try to find those really dumb, outrageous, crazy games, because the kids will love it. It will make it memorable, right? And I found this game. I thought, this is going to be amazing. The kids are going to love it. It's stupid. It's silly. You know, it's off the wall. It's memorable. And then I start to explain the game. I'm having the kids start to do the game. And then before I knew it, guess what happened? The kids who I would call the influencers of the group decided, this game is stupid. And then before I knew it, it just kind of, the wave went through the whole youth group. This is stupid. This is stupid. And then all of a sudden I realized nobody wanted to play the game. Nobody was willing to even try the game. And I was like, boy, there's 20 minutes that I just wasted. Boy, great job, Bill. And then, no joke, just two months later, we went to church camp. Same group of kids. I took them to church camp. And once you know that Friday night, the people who led the church camp came out with the exact same game. I'm just thinking, oh man, my group's going to think this is stupid. And all of a sudden, before I know it, everybody there started thinking, oh, this is so fun. Everybody started jumping in. And the kids in my group who were the same kids two months ago saying, Bill, this game is so stupid. We're not doing this. We're the first ones in line. This game's amazing. I never heard of anything so amazing before. And I remind them, hey, do you remember two months ago we played that same game? You know, what, what's the deal? You know what was the difference? The difference was the influence. The influence is what made the difference. Like it or not, realize it or not, every one of us becomes what we allow to influence us. Every one of us. 
We are saturated by the world, and it consumes us, and it, it guides us towards what we do. Here's the raw, 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 okay, I'm going to say something right, right? The raw reality of us is this. What we surround ourselves with sways what we think. What we think impacts what we feel, and what we feel motivates what we do. We all follow this progression in our life in different ways. We all follow this. What we surround ourselves with sways what we think, what we think impacts what we feel, and then what we feel motivates what we do. That's the reality of influences. And every one of us walks this path of being influenced by what we surround ourselves with and how we impact what we feel and then what we do and who we become. You see, who you surround yourself with makes a tremendous impact on the person you are. It just is. We all cannot separate ourselves from this. We are all become exactly what we surround ourselves with, what we choose to be present in. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. How does this happen? How does this slow fade begin to take place? You know, it, it begins to happen as we surround ourselves with other things, other influences that overwhelm our thoughts and infect our hearts and then transforms who we are. It's actually, this is actually written about in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, the writer highlights this progression of life that we all find ourselves on based upon the influences in our life. The writer writes, says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. Did you see the progression that this writer in these verses kind of highlight and play out how influences affect all of us? It's all in our motion and all in our walk, in all of our journey, this is what happens. We begin to allow ourselves to be present in other influences. And you're walking with it. You're entertaining it. You're hanging out with it. And then before you know it, you're walking, but then you're standing. It gets a hold of your attention. And you just kind of slow down and begin to process it. Huh. What does that think? What does that mean? What does that mean for, you, for me? And then they're sitting. In other words, now you've allowed to just let yourself settle in in the presence of that influence. And then that influence begins to transform your thoughts, your heart, and dictates what you do. That's how it happens. And this is what we see play out throughout mankind, throughout our history. And we see this spelled out in the Bible. This all is about being present. Being present. What you are present in consumes who you are. It saturates who you are. And eventually it becomes you. It becomes you. I think one of the most important questions maybe you can ask yourself personally today is, who or what are you being present in? What influences are you allowing to consume your life? Because it matters. Paul writes about it in, in, in Corinthians, his Corinthian letters. 
The psalmist writes about it in the Old Testament and all throughout the gospel story, we see the reality of what we surround ourselves with, what we choose to be present in, transforms our thoughts, our hearts, and then recreates who we are. And that's the pathway of influences that we all have to realize and be careful with. We cannot escape this reality. What we choose to be present in is what influences our thoughts and our hearts. We can't escape that reality. And so when we stop and sit and just be in the presence of influence, influences in our life, in our world, it transforms us. And we're all present in something. You know, in the old days, it was just like, who are you physically hanging out with? Well, it's completely different in our day and age. I mean, you don't have to be physically with somebody to allow them to influence you because we're all being completely influenced by our own devices that's in our hands 24-7. And that just controls our attention. We all are stuck there, myself included. You know, you hear that little ding, well, what is that? Who looks like my past post? I have 500 likes now. I have 7,100 likes. Can I get more likes? That's the world we live in. And we allow those influence to saturate our minds, our hearts, and then become who we are. And then before you know it, maybe we're doing things we thought we'd never do. It's the walk. You know, in the Old Testament, the person we're kind of talking about today is Noah. Noah was a man who walked the earth thousands of years ago. You know his story. It's about the flood. That's his story. That's his journey. And his story is all about who or what he chose to be present in and how he, that made an impact on him, his family, and future generations. You want to understand what Noah's story is all about? It's that. Who is he present in and how is that impacting his life and future lives? Because in Noah's generation... The world he lived in was saturated with evil and wickedness. In fact, it's highlighted in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. It's written, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of, human, of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. You know, what the Bible is saying there is that the world had become so wicked, it consumed everybody's thoughts, actions, and lives. Everything they thought about, everything they did was evil, was corrupt, was opposite the heart of God. And the Bible says that it got so bad that the Lord regretted that he made human beings at all. And was deeply disappointed. Now, understand something here. God does not have emotions like we have emotions. And that's the hard thing as we try to wrestle with these, these words in this verse. Because we try to understand how God operates in God's heart based upon our own physical understandings and the emotions that we deal with in this world, which God does not. He's above this. He's eternal. He is spiritual. And so what's going on here? You know, God is, this is not also applying that God makes mistakes. He's not saying, oh, I made a mistake. Now I got to make my mistake bat right. He does not make mistakes. What we see here playing out is God's deep disappointment in the human race. Kind of what he knew was already going to happen. 
He realized the human, our hearts and what it means and how our hearts and our thoughts consume us and, and overtake us and, and then what we do beyond that and how, how it affects our actions. Because here in this moment, we come to face to face with the reality of God's desperate love for all of his creation. That's what we see here. You see, going back and understanding the whole gospel story, when God created everything that was, his deepest desire is to have your heart and my heart. But he's not a dictator up there that's saying, well, I'm going to tell Bill, I'm going to dictate what Bill's going to do, how he's going to live, what's going to happen, and what's he going to choose. He's not going to cause us or dictate us to love him. He wants us to choose to love him. Because you know real love happens by choice. You cannot force someone to love you. And God doesn't want to force you to love him. He wants you to make that choice. That's why he gave us free will, the opportunity to choose. But we all have that opportunity to run towards God's heart or our heart. But here we see with the reality of mankind, how evilness just overwhelmed everything. How fast-paced it happens. It's kind of like a snowball effect. Once it begins to happen, once the influences start to take over, it's just like it becomes this train that you almost can't stop. Just like everybody on that street on, on the Netflix video throwing pies in their face and everybody's wondering, why did you even do that? I don't know, I can't stop it because they did. And that's what we see, the influence is happening and it just begins to steamroll and steamroll and steamroll from creation, from the fall till now. It became such a serious issue that the whole world was corrupt and gone awry and got opposite with God and God was just so disappointed. This world does not love me. All that I've done This world does not love me. And here the world is choosing to go against God and towards their own heart. And this breaks the heart of God. See, what we see here in this moment is how desperately God's heart breaks when we walk away from him. You guys who are parents, you know this. You know that feeling. When your kids, whether it's a short time or a long time, when they walk away from you, it breaks your heart. And here we see the reality of God's heart just breaking. They're walking away from me. They're walking away from me. And all the corruption, all the brokenness, all the craziness, There was Noah. There was Noah. Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This verse speaks to me. It challenges me. It motivates me. It encourages me. Because in a world that is so saturated by influences and differing worldviews and opinions and all types of influences, it is so easy to just throw in the towel and give up and say, I can't do this and be swayed by all the other influences around me. But there was Noah. There was Noah. He stood faithful even when he was all alone. 
Noah was not swayed or influenced by pop culture or the current worldview of his day. He was not being present in what those around him were doing or saying or saying what he should believe or how he should act or what he should do. He wasn't being present in those thought processes. He was being present in God. And he did not allow the world around him to saturate his heart and his mind. And then here we are introduced to Noah and his family. The Bible says in verse 9 of, Noah, of Genesis 6, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah's story is really a story about a man who's surrounded by a generation of people that were absolutely corrupted and chasing their own heart. And Noah chose not to follow the influences around him, but he chose to follow God. Why did he want to do this? Why was he so focused on following God? Because he wanted to save his family. That's his story. He was a man who loved God and who he so desperately wanted to save his family and guide, him, guide his family towards the heart of God. In the middle of all the corruption, that's what he wanted to do. That's what his story was, to move his, lead his family beyond the outside influences. This is about living for God, not for man. You want to identify what's a big, most important life lesson we can take home from Noah? It's this. We need to live to be right before God rather than right before man. That's the ultimate goal. Yet, because we get so consumed by the influences all around us, we live to try to please other people around us, try to make them happy, not be mad at me, not kind of create any conflict or any problems, or just to get them to where I'm not uh, on the outside looking in, where I'm not um, the oddball. You know, as we talked about last week and just a moment ago, we have this deep need within all of us to have attention, affirmation, and affection. And because of that, we try to meet those needs by trying to find where do I fit in? Where can I get plugged in? Bottom line, we're all trying to figure out where do I belong? And I think we all are running that race. Where do I belong? In this crazy world, where do I fit in? Who am I? And we try to fulfill all those emotional and eternal needs that we all have by finding that very question, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And we're all trying to figure out what that answer is. But can I just tell you right now, where you belong is in Jesus, not in this world. You don't belong in that crowd of people that you're trying to please. You don't belong in anything else in this world. The creator of all that is created for you to belong in him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament puts it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What Paul is saying here is, I'm not trying to fit in with everybody else around me. I'm not trying to be like everybody else. I'm not trying to win their approval or make them like me. My ambition is to make one person like me, and that's God. I want to live for him. 
And I think we get ourselves so much in trouble because we want to try to find that place where we belong. We try so hard to make everybody else around us like us, and then we allow their influence into our life to make choices that we never thought we'd make, to do things we thought we would never do. But for Noah, he didn't allow the influences to seep into his heart. You know, Genesis 6, 9 that we read just a moment ago highlights his journey in this and how he developed this walk and walked with God. The Bible says in verse 9 of Genesis 6 that we read a moment ago that Noah was a righteous man. Righteousness is just a Bible fancy word that means being right before God. And so what this is saying here is Noah lived for God. Despite all the influences and everything around him, Noah chose to live for God. And he found where he belonged and who he was in the presence of God, not the presence of man. And that's what he lived for. And then the Bible says in verse 9 that he was blameless among the people of his time. That's a powerful phrase right there. Noah did not give in to the outside influences and all the worldviews and all the different opinions that overtook his, his pop culture of the day. Mankind is no different today than it was thousands of years ago in Noah's time. At our core, we run towards our heart, our own selfishness, our own desires, and it creates a multitude of worldviews. And Noah's world is very much like the world we live in today. You see what happens, how worldviews are created? Worldviews are created, number one, by the environment that we are in, and then also by the heart we choose to chase. We either chase our heart or God's heart. And the more we chase our heart and our own desires, we create our own worldview based upon what we feel is right. And before you know it, we live in a world of competing and multitude of worldviews upon worldviews upon worldviews. And then here we are trying to sift through all these worldviews to find what is truth? What is truth? And so how do you do that? How do you walk like Noah did? That's, the Bible says he was blameless in his time. He did not allow the influences to consume him, to control him, or to pull him away. Well, it all starts with what heart you seek. What heart are you chasing? Your heart, your desires, or the heart of God? The Bible says, after he was blameless in his time, it says that Noah walked faithfully with God. My friends, this is about being in his presence. Noah chose to be in God's presence, not the presence of those in the world, not the presence of all the influences that surrounded him. And that shaped who he was. This is about making a conscience and an intentional decision of who you surround yourself with. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden, there I am, I'm hanging out with God. God's present. He always is. But we need to make that intentional choice. Who am I going to be present in? Because if you follow your heart, your heart's going to run towards the buffet of the world and find a lot of unhealthy choices to be present in. You need to make that choice. And, and we'll tend to use the excuse, well, I want to hang out with God, but I'm just too busy. There's too much going on in my life. i got too many things to deal with. 
can I just be blunt right now? No, you don't. You're not too busy. We all like to use that excuse. We all like to say we're too busy, but we all choose what we do. Every one of us. And busyness is not a a sign of a successful life. It never has been. Busyness is a sign of a life that's out of control. That we don't know how to manage our life. We all have the ability to manage the time we've been given. It's just how are we managing it? What are we choosing to be present in? We have to be intentional about it. Because if I'm not intentional about it, you know what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to wake up. The alarm's going to go off. Then I'll wake up. And I'm like, I got to go. I have things to do. Life is happening. I got my list, my to-do list, and that's how I operate. I have my to-do list, and it's time to go, 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 go. And then once I go, 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 I don't stop. And I think, oh, I'll do it at lunchtime. Guess what? It doesn't happen. I'll do it later this afternoon. It doesn't happen. I'll do it tonight when everything's done. It doesn't happen. I have to be intentional about it. And so do you. We do what we choose to do. And we have to be, make the choice and conscience effort to be intentional. I need to be present with God. That's what Noah did. Jesus was probably the most busiest person this world has ever seen. He made that time. I can too. And so can you. So can you. It's about being intentional about that. You know, we're getting all these stories and all these people we're talking about through this series from what's known as the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews 11 verse 7, this is what's written about Noah. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with the faith. The Bible says that when he was warned, Noah acted. When God says, you need to do something, this world is going towards destruction, you need to do something, the Bible says Noah acted. In other words, he trusted God enough and he trusted the message enough that even when he didn't understand it, even when he didn't see all the details, even when he didn't know how it was all going to play out, he trusted him enough that he walked. And over and over again, the Bible in his story says, Noah did everything just as God had commanded it. Over and over and over again. This is trust. And I wrestle with this, and maybe you do too. So often I think, okay, God, I'll walk with you. Kind of show me how it kind of plays out. <laughs> I, I need to get it first, then I'll go. Are you a get it first, then go type of a person? I think so often we miss out on what God wants to do in our life because we have that mentality. God, I'll follow you when you show me. And God says, no, walk with me. His ways are above our ways. That's what the Bible says. We're not always going to get it. This is about trust. Do you trust him enough that even when you don't understand it, even when you don't see it, you'll go? You know the story. Noah built the ark. He was it in the ocean. They were like in the middle of the desert. God said, build the ark. This doesn't make any sense to me, God. What are you talking about? In the Bible, it's estimated that it took Noah anywhere from 60 years to 100 years to build the ark. 
You know, we read through the page, we're like, oh, good, okay, God, build the ark, and then next week he's done with it, here comes a flood, great story, God. No, it took 60 years or maybe even up to 100 years for Noah to build the ark. A century to do that. Now think about it for a moment. That's a lot of trust. Here he is. I don't get it. I'm in the desert and tell me to build a boat. A boat, by the way, that the world has never seen a boat that big in this world for centuries down the road. And now I said, you're going to build the biggest boat this world has ever seen. <laughs> in the middle of the desert. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, God. But he trusted him. Trust him. You want to get a glimpse of what that boat was? If you go to Cincinnati, northern Kentucky, at the Creation Museum, there is the life-size uh, ark encounter. I encourage you. This is a great, it's, a, it's worth the trip. Go there and check it out. And you can see with your own eyes the, the reality of how big this boat was. And Noah built this. Spent the majority of his life building this boat. And all the while, he had no idea how this would play out. And I have to believe that through the course of that 60 to 100 years, that there is times when the influences started to seep in. Because realize this, it's not like all of a sudden all the corruption and all the influences just stopped. It's not like I said, build the boat, and then tomorrow it's like, the world cooled down. We're all good now. No. Think about it. You see this world, I'm sure it just got worse and worse and worse, and more influences, and more influences, and Noah's probably get more and more frustrated. God, just show up. Can you just come right now? And God doesn't always just come right now. He's building this ark. And I bet there's many times along the way when he just had that, those doubts creep in. God, what are you doing? Just answer now. Take care of it now. And I think we struggle with that because we, in our human nature, we want God like a fast food chain, Right? Answer me now. Come here now. Wipe off all the problems. But God doesn't always work like that. Why is that? I think because God is more interested in the process of trusting and following him and the results of that than just coming in and doing what we ask him to do. I think through those 60 to 100 years, there was a process God was working on in Noah's heart that needed to happen. Yeah, Noah was not perfect. He was a knucklehead. Just read his story. But it was a process. And that's the hard pill for us to swallow. I'm a God, come show up right now. And God's saying, Bill, I got to take you through the process. You got to trust me. You got to walk with me, even when you don't get it. But you got to walk with me. It's the process. Because I'm doing something in you, Bill. I'm doing something in you, Noah. He's doing something in you. It's the process. And God works through the process to do some, something significant in our life and through our life that will make an impact not just for your family but for future generations and future generations. It's not always easy to accept, but it's the reality of God working. Then the flood came. And the Bible says in Genesis 7 that the flood lasted for 150 days. Waters rose, the flood came out, and then there was Noah and his family and all those crazy, stinky animals on this boat. For 150 days. 
And I bet as Noah sat on that ark, the work, his work was done, and now he was just waiting. That waiting part is hard. Because it's like, I did all this, and now is this it, God? Is this the story? And here I am just waiting and waiting and waiting. And through that waiting, I bet sometimes it gets lonely. And maybe some of you right here, God's working you through the process, whatever he's working you through, and you get to this point where it's like, I've been faithful, I've been faithful, and now I just feel like I'm so alone. There's a powerful verse in this story. It's not in your notes. Genesis 8.1. You may want to go get a Bible and just circle this verse to remind yourself and go back and remind yourself. It's one of the most beautiful verses in this whole story. And it just says, God remembered Noah. I love that verse. You know why? Because like Noah, there's so many times in my journey when I'm going through the process and I just feel so alone. Like no one gets it. No one understands it. No one's there. And then God had to speak through that darkness of waiting. I remember you, Noah. I see you. And I hope that's an encouragement for you, for some of you who are maybe going through the process right now, whatever that is. God sees you. He values you. He loves you. God remembers you. He remembers you. He has not forgotten you at all. We need to remind ourselves as we walk through that process sometimes because that process can be lonely and hard. But God remembers you. Looking back at Hebrews 11 that talks about uh, Noah in, in verse 7, it says that Noah became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping the faith. You know, here's the beauty in this. Through the process, Noah earned something when he was right before God. He became an heir of everything that God had in his life. You know, an heir is someone who becomes an, an, a recipient of the inheritance. Children, one day you become an heir of your parents' inheritance, like it or not. And God says, I have something special for you. When you follow me, when you are in my presence and I make you right before me, you become an heir of all that I have. That's what it's saying. Noah received everything that God had. We get so focused on what we see in the physical, but God's working beyond that to the eternal. He says, I have something tremendous for you. You are my children. You become my heir. And then we receive it. But remember, Noah did this. Why did he do this? Why did he work this process? To save his family. He didn't want himself to be influenced by it, but he didn't want his family to be influenced by the world around him. You see, your faithfulness to God leaves a legacy for others to follow. It just does. Think about it. What legacy am I leaving behind? As we read this story, we don't see much about Noah's family. We don't know much about the details of his kids um, or his wife or anything of that point. This story is about Noah. And the man that Noah was and what he passed on to his family and the legacy he left. That was the story. You see, you have an influence on others. Whether it's your children, your neighbors, co-workers, you name it. You have a legacy. You have an influence. And what you allow to influence you dictates what legacy you leave behind. What you're present in becomes the legacy you leave. It makes a difference. You know, 
We're like this happy face sponge, sponge daddy. You know, this sponge takes on the environment, right? We take on our environment. And when we take on just more and more of the environment and the world and the influence of the world, it kind of hardens us, doesn't it? And many of us, we've become pretty hardened over the past few years because we've allowed the influence of the world to dictate our thoughts and our mind and our heart. And it consumes us and saturates us and becomes what we, we are. And then we don't really have much to give. We are what we surround ourselves with. But you know, when you take the sponge and you put it in a good old bowl of water, it consumes it. And then when this consumes it and saturates it, not only does it fulfill what the sponge needs, but then it becomes the very thing that it spreads and influences for others. It's the legacy. And so think about it. You are what you surround yourself with. Every one of us. And we need to be more like the sponge and be present with God. Just be present with him. That's all the Bible says. Just be present with him. He is the vine, we are the branches. Just be present with him. Allow him to saturate us. And then before you know it, it is inevitable. He will just flow right through you. It's all about what are you present in. And what you're present in is the legacy you leave behind. Make an intentional effort to be present with God like Noah. And watch what he will do in your heart, in your life, and through your life. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. We thank you because of... uh, the way that you are moving in this world and all around us. And Father God, right now, I just pray that we may be in your presence. Lord, help us just to put all the excuses aside and be intentional about just being with you. Help us to be honest and and realize how we allow influences around us to shape who we are. And Lord, help us to define what that walk is for us, just like Noah. Rather than being present in all the influences in the world, may we we be present in you. And may you saturate us, consume us. May you, may we become like you. And may we become an heir of your righteousness that leaves a tremendous legacy for others to follow. Lord, just move in our life in a mighty way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.